My name is Ron Weir. I, uh, I'm blessed to be able to serve as one of the elders for the church, and I was honored uh, to have been asked to share with you this morning uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about, the true hope of heaven, your true hope of heaven, uh, is vitally important to our Christian faith. It also happens to be something that has personally encouraged me during a difficult uh, 2020. Before we begin, I'd like to open this morning with some prayer uh, for the message that I'm about to share, but also, very importantly, for the many people in our congregation and surrounding community uh, that are suffering right now. Uh, let's just bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, please cover this time that we are sharing together this morning. Please open up by your grace a window through which we can see heaven and our eternal futures more clearly. Please use this message that I'll be sharing to encourage, to motivate, to refocus, and to more strongly root any who are watching and hearing this message. May we find true and lasting hope for our lives and for those we love and for all of your creation. We are in the world, but we are not of this world, Father. We declare this as truth this morning. We give you our hearts and we give you our lives. Please help us find the power, the wisdom, and most importantly, the love to live in this world impactfully for your kingdom and for your glory with eternity in mind. Lord Jesus, please intercede on behalf of all those who are suffering right now, the many elderly and infirm who are depressed and lonely beyond what they can handle due to their isolation, the many teens and young adults who are anxious, depressed, even suicidal right now, as they've been pulled out of their normal social interactions and support relationships at school, please be their comforter. Please make yourself known to them personally and intimately. Instead of their being led by their pain and by the enemy, may they be led by your spirit, knowing that you have a purpose for their life and that you have created them to bring you glory and to do your good work. Supernaturally, please, Lord, take away their anxiousness and suicidal thoughts. Bring people into their lives that can help them to find you and to find hope. For the parents of school-aged children who are doing their best to support their families through their work and also trying to be homeschoolers and counselors, Lord, they love their children and families so much, but many are needing your grace and your help right now more than ever. Use each one of us in some way. Show us where there are needs and motivate us to reach out and to be the blessing that you are seeking to provide to them. Please protect our leaders, Lord. Give them wisdom, courage, and an unselfish heart that is motivated more purely to care about people more than power. We love you, Lord. Please talk with us this morning and make the truth about our hope of heaven real to us. Amen. So let me start with a question. Are you citizens of the United States or are you citizens of heaven? Do you put your hope in this country, this world, your life on earth, or do you put your hope in heaven? A proverb I've always loved and one you'll re readily recognize is Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
If we don't understand God's big vision for the whole of our life as his children and as citizens of his kingdom, let's just say that we are destined to experience and accomplish far less than he has intended for us. C.S. Lewis is quoted as having once said, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. If we really believe that our belief in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and his saving us from this world, and ultimately from eternal separation from him is real, and if we can start to understand more fully the truth of our hope in heaven, this will absolutely impact how we think, how we feel, and ultimately how we live this one and only earthly life that we've been blessed with. Because you see, once we're born again, and once we've surrendered our lives to him, we all have but one singular purpose for our earthly life, and that's to bring him glory. Amen? Before we dive into this important topic this morning, I'd like to share a personal story just to provide some context about how this topic, this, this very topic, encouraged me during 2020. It was, of course, a hard year in many ways for a lot of us. And for me, this year only seemed to get worse with the election and all of its ensuing controversy. As a lawyer and a lover of history, I've always been proud of our national heritage and respectful and grateful of our Constitution and the incredible progress that we've made as a nation in our short existence, as well as the role model that we, had, we have become for much of the world. And you see, without regard for your political leaning, this year has left many of us feeling low, very low on the hope meter. Especially if you, like me, had put any small part of your hope in our government leaders or our significant freedoms or our constitution or really even in our country itself, the mighty and wonderful United States of America. As I saw evil rising all around me, as I saw what felt like daily new restrictions or censorship or injustice or outright crimes being covered up, I found myself growing. But my growth, unfortunately, it wasn't in godliness or in peace or in joy, and it wasn't in hope. If I'm honest, it was in anger, it was in frustration, and it was even in a sense of hopelessness. As I learned more and more about the one true kingdom of heaven and reflected more deeply on this during this past year, the reality of our amazing and eternal future eventually helped me to let go of this world, my definition of justice, my sense of what is right and wrong, my personal desires in this life. And somehow, miraculously, I gladly surrendered these to God. And as I've done so, I've also found, found myself more willing to suffer, to have less, to accept whatever his sovereign and permissive will is for me. Even if that means my losing my earthly life, my losing my loved ones here, or my freedoms, or even my country. As proud of an American patriot as I like to think I am, I've come to realize much more deeply that my citizen in the kingdom of heaven is far superior to even being a citizen of the United States. 
Because all of this, and I mean all of this, as you begin to learn this morning, will pass away and will be made new, gloriously new. And we may live 80 to 100 years here on earth, but we're talking about an endless existence with God right there in our presence, always learning, always discovering new interests, new opportunities, always experiencing love, always feeling joy, peace like a river running through our innermost parts forever and ever. I so want us to become a people who don't live in fear of anyone or anything that this world or its rulers can throw at us. And a people who are willing to accept fully his call on our lives to go and make disciples as the most important purpose of our lives. And that we would more earnestly seek and daily find and respond faithfully to our God-given opportunities to share the gospel and our amazing hope in Christ and in heaven. Amen? So, we just couldn't think, that's all right, do that, yeah. It's It's worthy of a clap. We just couldn't think of a better way to start out 2021 than with a message on our one and only true hope of heaven and the kingdom of God. May this focus serve to empower and motivate you to have your most intimate year of relationship with Jesus yet, your most fruitful year of service to him yet, and your best year yet. Amen? There is no promise, I get a little caveat here, there's no promise that 2021 is gonna be a better year than 2020. But as Paul wrote in Hebrews 13.8, therefore, let us hope and rejoice in the one thing we know for sure. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This earthly life is short, and we will give an account of how we've used it for him. Because you see, this mission that he's entrusted to us, it's urgent. It's urgent. We have something here that is a cure for more than COVID. We have, a, we have something that's more than a cure for cancer even. It's a cure for sickness of every kind, sin of any kind, and even death. And for those of us who believe, nothing, nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God, and we will live forever. So let's jump into this exciting subject of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm gonna start us out taking us through three questions during the course of the time this morning that we have. And those questions are, why can you really hope in heaven? What does the Bible teach us that heaven will be like? And how should you live now in light of the world that awaits you? So, why can you really hope in heaven? Well, first of all, a promise is only as good as the promisor, the person making the promise. Who is Jesus? And I don't need you to answer out loud, but who is Jesus to you? This is something that I want each and every one of you here with us this morning watching uh, online. Who is Jesus to you? To me, he's not merely a man. He's the son of God. He is the son of God. Now, that's something that each and every one of you needs to sort of come to terms with on your own and make a decision for yourself. It's a pretty consequential foundational decision, I might add, because... Uh, Everything hinges on 
your decision as to who Jesus is, right? But if he is not merely a man and he's the son of God, newsflash, he can't lie. He just literally cannot lie. It's not in who he is. He's perfectly holy. He's pure. He's blameless in every way. So what Jesus has to say about heaven, and there's a lot in the Bible, okay? There's a lot that Jesus had to say about heaven. I think it becomes pretty relevant to how we all feel about the reliability of this idea of heaven, this promise of heaven, and why we can really hope in it. How about his apostles, his most closest followers, right, his protégés, People who believed so deeply in him and what he taught that they went to the death themselves for it. Well, I think what they have to say might be relevant too in how we, how we feel about heaven and our sense of, hey, we can really hope in this promise of heaven. And so we're going to look at two pretty consequential apostles, uh, Paul, who wrote a ton about heaven, and John, who God gave this amazing gift to and to us through this prophetic vision that was captured in the book of Revelation. If you have never done a study in Revelation, what a, what a great study. Um, I just completed one earlier this year from N.T. Wright. It's excellent. Highly recommend that. But let's begin answering this first question of why you can really hope in heaven by taking a look again at what Jesus had to say and then also the apostles, Paul and John. So uh, one of the criminals, as you may recall, on the side of Jesus when he was crucified said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 42 and 43. And then in John 14, 1 through 4, just love this verse, especially as we just had a very troubling, anxious 2020. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. In Luke 10, verse 20, he needed to tell his apostles just to chill out a little bit. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. You might think a little too highly of yourself. Instead, Value more than anything else the fact that your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice in that. Not that the evil spirits will obey you, but that your names are registered in heaven. And then Paul, as I said, Paul just said so many things about heaven. Colossians, I love this verse, 3, uh, 1 through 4. And for for those of you who uh, are familiar with uh, Bishop Fian, they have this r- written right on the uh, overpass between their two buildings, which I always thought was super cool to declare something like that as such a high value and, and priority within this campus of the school. But since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And then Ephesians, which we just spent quite a bit of time in our last series working through uh, chapter 2, 4 through 6, love this verse, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much 
that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. One of my good friends in our community group recently reminded me of this scripture when she said, Ron, but he said that he had raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I mean, if that doesn't kind of blow your mind to just think about it, holy camoly, he seated us in the heavenly realms with him because we are united with him. Wow. And then in, Col- in Corinthians 1, uh, 21 through 22, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. What does this mean that Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit as a pledge? Well, here's the simplest way to understand it. It's like the collateral or the security that we might provide if we were agreeing to a loan, right? It's a pledge. It was his way to give us extra security and assurance that he will make good on his promise of heaven. So much more valuable, right, his Holy Spirit, than any asset we could ever pledge. What's, what's amazing, I think, even further than that, though, is it's also him bringing a part of heaven down to earth. It's one way among several that heaven intersects or overlaps with the earth through his life working in us and through us. If you haven't read N.T. Wright's book, Simply Christian, please consider doing so. It's terrific. But he talks at length about this concept of heaven and earth intersecting and overlapping in this way. But for today, I just want you to reflect on this. Jesus is not a man. He's the son of God. Again, you have to decide that for yourself. But where I stand, and I know a lot of you listening and watching and here today with us, he's the son of God. He's purely holy. He's perfect in every way. He's literally unable to lie. But if he wasn't trustworthy enough on this basis alone, he's also pledged the most valuable and amazing collateral of his Holy Spirit so that we could be even more peaceful, even more confident in trusting him about our eternal destiny. And also so we could begin to understand a bit more what heaven will be like as we experience love here on earth, as we experience God-given moments and even miracles as we walk in and live by his spirit. So a couple more from Paul, and then I'm going to segue to John, but I just love 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Then we will see everything. I'm sorry, I jumped down. Now we see things perfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. And then Colossians 1:27, God willed to make known that what the wealth of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles is, the mystery that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want to kind of say something over and over in your head during 2021? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? 
As I said, this prophetic vision that God blessed all of us with and gave to John uh, in Revelations is amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just reference three scriptures from Revelation, first 11 through 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And in 21, three through four, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then in 22, three through five, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So, with some really exciting and substantive direction about our eternal destiny of heaven from Jesus and the apostles Paul and John, and trust me, we haven't even begun to tip, you know, touch the tip of the iceberg here as far as what the Bible teaches on heaven, but let's move now to question number two. More specifically, what does the Bible teach us that heaven will be like? Uh, one of the things I will mention to, to everyone, those of you watching and everyone here, there's this terrific chart that I came across, and I, I, sh I shared it on the... Uh, the church website, and also if you're on church online this morning, it should be in, I believe it's in the, uh, the notes tab or in the, uh, one of the tabs there, I forget which one, um, but it's terrific, and it lists out everybody's sort of common misconceptions about heaven with really what the Bible actually says about those different things, and it's a great comparative analysis, and it's a one-pager. I think you find it very helpful. There's also a great, great um, resource by Randy Alcorn. He's got a full book entitled Heaven, which is amazing. Um, but then he also has a 50-day devotional called the 50 Days of Heaven, and I just love it. I, I did it this past year. It's just terrific, the devotional. So, first off, there will be a present heaven, and there will be a future heaven. The present heaven is where God's people go when they die. It's thought to be a physical place. Jesus refers to it as paradise when he's speaking to the criminal on the cross. Some theologians believe it could be the original undefiled Eden. The future heaven, we'll talk about in just a minute, we will be able to see earth from heaven. How cool is that? Think about what, what Luke 15, 7 tells us. In the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Pretty clear that they're able to see when people are repenting and turning to God and celebrate from heaven. I think that's pretty, pretty cool to think about. Most theologians believe that we will be able to remember and recognize people, that we'll be able to pray. If we were married and we had a family here on earth, we can expect to see them again in eternity. But our relationships, having also been redeemed, will be different, but even better. For some of you, that's hard to imagine, right? And for others, it's very easy to imagine. That was a little joke. A little chuckle or two might not be a bad idea. Make me feel better about myself. Uh, we will renew friendships old and new, and we will also form new relationships in heaven. 
There will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is also what I just referred to a moment ago as future heaven, right? But amazingly, heaven will descend to earth, just like that passage from Revelation I just read, and the new earth will become the new heaven. Isn't that incredible? The new Jerusalem, Anthony Hokema is a theologian, and often theologians and, and a lot of biblical scholars will refer to the new heaven as the new Jerusalem. Um, the new Jerusalem does not remain in a heaven far off in space. It comes down to the renewed earth. There, the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrection bodies. So heaven and earth, now separated, will then be merged. The new earth will also be heaven, since God will dwell there with his people. Everything will be glorified, even nature itself. And that seems to me, says Martin Lloyd-Jones, another uh, very well-respected theologian, to be the biblical teaching about the eternal state. That what we call heaven is life in this perfect world as God intended humanity to live it. When he put Adam in paradise at the beginning, Adam fell and all fell with him. But men and women are meant to live in the body and will live in a glorified body in a glorified world and God will be with them. In Matthew 19, 28, Matthew writes, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. You, those of you who, who remember, Brandon had a big thing. He would talk all the time about the renewal of all things, right? And how we would be participants in that with God, renewing all things. Well, I mean, this is something that happens in its fullness when uh, heaven and earth merge and uh, God is with us here in the new heaven. God's glory will be on God's earth, Isaiah prophesied in 11, 9 through 10. And again, Revelation 22, 3, the curse will be completely reversed on all of creation. Our old bodies, as I said, will be made new. They'll be glorified. Uh, R.A. Torrey, another theologian, he says, we will not be disembodied spirits in the world to come, but redeemed spirits in redeemed bodies. Christ's resurrection body is really thought to be a great model of ours. Philippians 3.21, Paul writes, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We will be overflowing with joy from living with God forever. We will have laughter and no more boredom. Good thing after 2020 for some of us who were bored at times. More puzzles were played and purchased, I think, in 2020 than any year in human history. We will be in a kingdom above all others, and if you can imagine this, I know it's a crazy thought, we will actually have a government that we'll love to be a part of. We will be able to be fully ourselves and fully authentic in heaven. Now, I know for a lot of you folks here, or at least some of you, that's no big deal because you're already fully yourself and fully authentic every day, right? But some of us aren't, and this is a cool idea. Fully yourself and fully authentic all the time. Think about that. What is that going to do to the relationships in heaven? Holy camoly, right? I mean, you just have just pure, healthy, unadulterated, the way God intended it, human relationships in heaven, right? Because of this fully ourselves, fully authentic aspect. For those of you who love to eat like I do, good news, we'll be eating and drinking in heaven. Even better news, the chefs will be next level and so will your taste buds. Woohoo! 
we will be able to know things and learn things. Otherwise, how would you not be bored, right? I mean, you'd be easily bored. How could you, how could you not be bored if you didn't have the ability to know things and learn things? This one I just thought is so encouraging. Opportunities that you lost on earth will be regained. Think about the things that you were just so disappointed. Oh, I wanted that opportunity to come to be, but it never happened. You will regain access to those opportunities in heaven, and new opportunities will also open to us. There will be the development of culture, arts, and innovation. Again, makes sense, right, if we're not going to be bored. That's very encouraging. I think it makes it to be much more of an interesting place. And certainly it is not us playing a harp on a cloud. I think you get the idea. This is a full life, fuller than anything we could imagine in every way. So as we begin to wind down, let's finish up with this very, very important third question, which is how should you live now in light of the world that awaits you? I'd like to suggest that there are three major aspects to a life full of the true hope of our kingdom of heaven. No fear, reprioritized values, and loving God and loving others. Now, easy to say no fear in a year that had a lot of fear. And there's still a lot of folks walking around, maybe some of you that have more fear than you've maybe had in your life or that you can ever remember having in your life. But when we talk about no fear, we're talking about sickness and death. We're talking about others, people, and Satan. And we're talking about this world and anything it can throw at us, right? Now ask yourself this question, and this would be something to reflect on in your own time. Maybe talk about with someone you trust and ask them what they think as well. I think a real honest Self-reflection and discussion with some others in your community groups or your friends or your family would be pretty meaningful. But ask yourself, what do I fear and why? Do I really believe that he reigns above all others? Do I really believe that his kingdom has authority and victory over all others? Do I really believe that his kingdom and my life will never end? Do I really believe that anything that this world, others, or even Satan can send my way has the power to separate me from the love of God? Again, be honest with yourself. Discuss this with others. I think it will be meaningful as you try to really sort of regain your focus for a healthy 2021. Commit to reading your Bible and covering yourself with more of his truth. I think the odds are pretty high to varying degrees that we've all been presently covering ourselves with one or more of the many false truths that this world is constantly sending our way. As your belief in your one true hope of heaven deepens, so will your faith and your trust in him, and so will your fearlessness. God doesn't call us to be meek. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. I'm not saying let's go out and be reckless, but he calls us to fearlessness. There's nothing that can touch us, you guys. There's nothing. The question is, do you believe it? So, let's go to number two. How should you live now in light of the world that awaits you with reprioritized values? My word, we certainly don't want to have the same values as this culture and world out here around us. If we don't stand out and have reprioritized values, 
what exactly is the evidence of what we believe and who we are, the, everything I'm talking about. Reprioritized values is where the rubber meets the road. It's the integrity quotient, right, of my life and who I really am. I mean, we can all say we're Christians, but are we Christians? Are we citizens of this kingdom of God or not? And so I challenge you honestly and sincerely to reflect on this one as well. Journal some of your thoughts, discuss it again with someone you trust. But here's a question for you. What would look different for you if you really believe that your life here on earth is really just an opportunity to prepare for eternity, an opportunity to glorify him, and an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven? Let me, let me ask that again for you. What would look different for you? All of these are going to be made available to you as well, all my notes and the questions. A lot of these will be passed down to you um, for the community groups and also available online. But what would look different for you if you really believed that your life here on earth is really just an opportunity to prepare for eternity, an opportunity to glorify him, and an opportunity to store up treasures in heaven? So here's my humble list of some ideas, just for starters, of course. Remember, with God, all things are possible. His spirit is alive and well within us. So don't be too quick to feel intimidated. Christ in you, the hope of glory, remember? By his grace alone. So let's think about these and, uh, again, just consider. God may be talking to you specifically about some other things. These are just some, some ideas for starters. But how about these? Renewing of your mind. That's a great thought, but how often do you think about it? Am I, what am I doing to renew my mind? What thoughts am I letting in? Are those the thoughts that come from Scripture? Do they align with Scripture? Do they align what I know to be true? Or, or are they more likely a lie from the enemy and from the culture that he is pervading all of us with his lies through? Be, being born again. Remember, I'm not the same person that came out of the womb. I was born again in Christ Jesus. My life is completely different than what it was, and it's daily being made different even beyond what it is already. What does that look like for you? What, is that, what does that mean? What should that look like? Believing that Christ in me is the hope of glory. By the way, if you believe that Christ in you is the hope and glory, there's no puddle glum, you know, Eeyore, woe is me, life is hard, life sucks. You know, and, and listen, I know life sucks sometimes. I'm not trying to diminish that. We're working through, as I've done many times with others, folks, uh, real close friends with some marriage difficulties, another, uh, another friend recently with just a recent cancer diagnosis. I mean, this life is hard. We were promised everything we're talking about here, but we were also promised that we would have trials and tribulations. So no surprise here. But Christ in me, the hope of glory, is, is how I am rising above all of this. None of this, again, can touch you, right? Being willing to partake in his sufferings. Now, this is another side of this, right? Yeah, I, I, Christ in me, the hope of glory, I should be able to rise above my sufferings, but am I willing to step into taking on sufferings, again, to bring him glory and to show the love of Christ to others? My brother Scott in the back, I hope he doesn't mind me calling him out, just come back from Haiti again. Uh, I was really trying hard to go with him, and it just wouldn't work out with my week at work and preparing for this morning, but I can't even t I, I tell you how many times, you know, dozens and dozens of times he's gone down taking time away from his family, invested personal resources, time, money, and other things into this community that he cares so deeply about. He's willing to partake in his sufferings. The flesh doesn't want to suffer. The normal man doesn't want to suffer. 
we want what we want, when we want it, we want it now, right? The idea that I'm going to take on sufferings for another and for Christ, this is not normal. It is certainly an evidence of reprioritized values and a new life, a new kingdom citizenship in you. Being ready, willing, and able to share the good news. Now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but the fact is, everyone in this room, everyone watching at home, we don't share the gospel nearly enough. Again, this is urgent. This is a cure beyond cancer. And if we had a cure for cancer, I assure you, we'd be giving it to everybody we know, whether they have cancer or not, wouldn't we? This is the good news. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be sort of disrespectful. It's in the context of love and of relationship, of course. But are you ready, willing, and able to share the good news? There's no more urgent call in our life. Becoming a student of truth and his word. If you're to become an engineer or a lawyer or a doctor or an electrician or a plumber, can you do it without becoming a student, a, a, a you know, really committed student to the details and knowing your craft? No, of course you can't. But we're going to be citizens of the kingdom of God without being students of truth and of his word? You guys are fooling yourself. Just forget about it. Don't even try. Now, I'm not saying it's easy because the flesh doesn't want to suffer. And sometimes reading the word of God feels like suffering. It's hard. But it's life. It's truth. It will open another dimension for you that you can never experience without the word of God. Be faithful in prayer. This is like oxygen for us as members of the citizenship in, king, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. This is like our oxygen to live in that kingdom. He is interceding on our behalf. If we're not faithful in prayer, think about how, sh how short we're selling ourselves. And then living and communicating with a bolder witness. Again, if we knew it was a cure for cancer, we'd be much bolder. And we've got to be bolder with our witness. Um, Couple, couple uh, last ones in this, in this category of reprioritized values, but um, being willing to take on responsibilities to do things that cost you more and burden you more. This is similar to the one of taking on sufferings, but um, it's even beyond that sometimes because it's, it's even more radical. It's opening your home to someone who needs a home and making that compromise within your family and what you want just your family to be together maybe. It's giving a car away, radical as that might be. It's, it's, you know, doing whatever it is that God's calling you uniquely to that the rest of the world would look at and say, wow, that's crazy. What are you, nuts? I wouldn't do that. Well, we're called to take on more costs, to take on more burden. He gave us his life. What are we willing to give? And so it all comes for me down to this last one that I want to just let you kind of reflect on as well. What are your gifts and influence mostly being used for, and are you using these for his glory? Because here's the good news. You are so able to change your answer to that question if you don't like the answer. It's just your choice. It's a choice. Not an easy choice to act on, but it's a choice nonetheless, right? What are my, what are my gifts and what are my influence? Write down an inventory on a one-page piece of paper. What are my gifts? What are my various circles of influence? I recently this year joined a group, and uh, Becky embarrassed Becky and mentioned Becky. Becky, who uh, was leading worship this morning, and I are in the same group in Providence. It's called C12. It's a Christian CEO group. It's amazing. It's literally one of the best things I've ever been a part of. And these are mature Christian CEOs, fellow CEOs of their companies, challenging each other 
to use our influence as leaders of employees, as businesses with influence on our customers and our clientele and on the marketplace to have a bolder witness, to make it about his glory and his kingdom. And at first, you know, you hear this and you think, oh, this is crazy. Like, I want to be in business. I don't want to be out of business. Talking about Jesus all the time will certainly risk that maybe, right? Well, you know what? Again, we've got to take more cost. We've got to take more bread. We've got to be willing to risk more for, him, for his kingdom. And I've been given this incredible blessing of my business, and I'm going to use it for his glory. And so they're literally challenging us with five measures for the health and wellness of your business. Are you, are you behind uh, your goal? Are you on goal? Are you ahead of your goal? And, you know, normal things like you would expect, revenue, uh, human resource development, operations, um, financial management, ministry is one of the five. Ministry. How cool is that? Like you're literally putting ministry in with the same value of those financial metrics, those human resource metrics, operational metrics. It's a very different way of thinking about your business, but it's this concept exactly. So I challenge you guys. You all have your own giftings, your own circles of influence. How can they be used more effectively for his glory? So um, a related question is, you know, how are you measuring the value of your life? And the enemy gets us with this one all the time, right? Is it money? Is it status? Is it a position? Is it a career? Is it whether you're married or not married or whether you have kids or not have kids? I mean, the enemy takes us in, down these pathways of you're not valuable for any number of these silly reasons. And the reality is if you are aligned with what God values most, your life is valuable. Think of the, we just recently, some of us, uh, maybe, maybe you guys aren't into it as an annual tradition like my family is, but every year at Christmas, we decorate the Christmas tree as a family watching It's a Wonderful Life. And you think of the, the beautiful picture of George Bailey, right? He always felt like he was not very valuable, didn't he? He compared himself to Sam. He always, you know, compared himself to others. He had all these big goals that in his mind he never accomplished, but yet at the end of that, he was the richest man in town because he made it about what God cared about, right? He made it about others. He made it about his community. He made, and didn't make it about himself. So, uh, last one, okay, is um, how should you live now in light of the world that awaits you by loving God and loving others? And this is the great commandment, right? Love God, love others. But I think the best way to approach this as we enter into 2021 is to ask ourselves this question, what does this world need most right now? What does this world we live in need most right now? And I'm gonna just humbly suggest it needs his love, it needs his church, and it needs his leadership. And when I say his love, here's what I think of. I think of God's people bringing to others genuine care, kindness, gentleness, a listening ear, to be known, affirmation and belief, healthy role models, a way forward, a vision for their future, a means of protecting and providing for their loved ones, a reason to celebrate life, and ultimately, a true hope of heaven. Not a lazy or fanciful one, a true hope of heaven. There's a lot of lazy and fanciful ones out in our culture, right? We know what it means to enter eternity. We know what it means to be born again. You, you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right? You believe it in your heart, you declare it with your mouth. And so 
you know, let's not let these lazy, fanciful notions of heaven just be believed without having a conversation with people we care about. The world needs his church. This is another aspect of loving God and loving others. It's the hope of the world. We've said this for years in this very church. It was, it was an idea that was originally espoused out of Willow Creek and Bill Hybels, and I just, I, I've never, I've, I just love that. It's such a, a true vision for the church. It's the hope of the world. In fact, it was God's plan for the church, and there's no plan B. It was God's plan for the world was his church, right? It's community. It's growth. It's support. It's a place to serve others, a place to heal, a place to find hope and vision, certainly a place to find truth. It's a beacon of light and grace and love in an increasingly dark and angry and unloving world. The church and the world are, in fact, different, right? This year, it was hard to tell the difference at times. Numerous times in our history, it's also been difficult to tell the difference. Let it begin with me, though, right? Be the change you want to see. Be the change we want to see as a church as we chart this next uh, leg of our journey. The golden rule, do unto others as, as, they, as you would have them do unto you. Lean in, not out. Lean in, not out. The flesh wants to lean out. The flesh wants to run. The flesh wants to silo and bail. The flesh wants to say, screw them. I'm never going to talk to them again. Trust even when you get hurt, trust again, love again, never stop. He doesn't stop. He doesn't want us to stop. We need to create new wineskins for his church, as the Bible calls them, wineskins, new wineskins. Not so we'll be able to attract more people from an entertainment or a marketing kind of perspective. Heck no, absolutely not. But so we can become a truer reflection of him, of his changing love, and the undying faith that we have in our true hope of heaven. To bring his kingdom here to earth. Amen? So, lastly, his leadership. Newsflash, all of us influence other people. Therefore, we are all leaders. Now, you may not see yourself as a leader, but you are. This is a moment-by-moment, person-by-person kind of thing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. We can't do it in our own power. It's by his grace alone. But we are absolutely, every one of us, leaders. Ask God to give you insight, words, ideas, and the courage to speak and to act. This is no time for any of you, not me, not you, not any of us to shrink or get lazy or be selfish. This isn't about us. This isn't about us. Are you really believing and grasping that what he did for you and what he has promised you in the future, out of an abundance of gratitude to our Lord and Savior, out of a heart full of love because he first loved you, he is calling you to lead. Lead right where you are. That person, that conversation, that idea, that moment, that opportunity may never be here again may never be there again. This is your chance to live with both love and courage for what really and truly matters. So as I close, I want to tell you this, and I want you to believe it. I pray to God you'll believe it. You are royalty. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. 
He and his kingdom and you and me, his children, shall reign there with him now and forever and ever. Let not your hearts be troubled. May each of us live 2021 in his kingdom and not just in this dying, decaying, diseased, and depressing at times earthly kingdom. Let's rise up this year and become the people that we have been reborn, renewed, and remade into for his glory. Amen?